Elberton has been the county seat for Elbert County, Georgia since the 1790s, about 10 years after the first settlements to the area arrived. Incorporated as a town in 1803 and then a city in 1896, Elberton has a long history. One of its main sources of industry for well over 100 years is in the field of mining granite and creating granite monuments. Unofficially holding the record as the granite capital of the world, Elberton first started hosting companies that quarried and worked with granite in the year 1896. Though you can see monuments boasting the professional and artistic work of the local granite companies around town, there is one monument on the outskirts of Elberton that stands above the rest, Little Airly. This monument was erected on March 22, 1980, stands at an impressive 5.7 meters tall, and is comprised of over 107,000 kilograms of granite. This modern-day megalith is a testament to the fine workmanship of the Elberton Granite Finishing Company and the dedication to mankind of a secretive group of Americans who commissioned it. There is a shroud of secrecy to this day involving the group who spent well over $100,000 to install what is nicknamed America's Stonehenge, but there's very little mystery as to why. Their message to humanity is written all over the stones that stands exclusively on rural land 14 kilometers to the north of Elberton. In today's episode, I'm going to share what I learned about the Georgia Guidestones, a modern-day megalith that was commissioned by a man named R.C. Christian, who represented a group of concerned American citizens. The intention behind this massive project was to leave instructions to mankind of how to live within a new age of reason. Welcome to the Dark Side of Lightwork. I'm Wynne Thornley. In life, I'm a professionally practicing esoteric teacher and channel to the ethers, specializing in demystifying the dark arts and the paranormal. I'm also a supernatural nerd and do a lot of personal research into things that go bump in the night. My fascination with the unknown began when I was a kid due to having my own misunderstood psychic experiences. I believe my lifelong fascination with the strange and unusual has prepared me for the work I'm called to do now, taking me to places other lightworkers will not go. These experiences have taught me a lot about how many fallacies we are told and actually believe about the world of the unknown. Join me as I share with you what I've learned about the realms of the paranormal, mystics of the past, and places that might make you feel uneasy. I want to lift the veil a little bit and take the Hollywood out of the supernatural and the metaphysics. And if you like what you hear, follow along by subscribing and please tell your friends. To begin this episode, I would like to give a warm shout out to Christina Ruddick Donnelly. Thank you so much for joining my exclusive Patreon community in the month of February. Take a scroll back to see the extra perks you now have access to, including two virtual haunted field trips, the latest Patreon exclusive episodes, and some bonus meditations. I appreciate your support in my independent podcast efforts, and this also goes for all loyal Patreons who have joined over the last couple of years. Thank you so much. If you're interested in learning more about what goes on over at my Patreon community, I have a link ready for you in my show notes. But for now, on to the show. A little while ago, I put out a poll to my social media community. I asked them to vote on the next episode topic since my Pine Lake exploration is on hold for now. Out of four topics offered, the Georgia Guidestones won by a single vote. I will let you know the runner-up at the end of this episode. But a winner is a winner, one vote or not, so let's dive in, shall we? 
I have been personally aware of the Georgia Guidestones for about 15 years now. It seems like just recently they have gotten a lot more attention. I don't know if it's the great pause that we as a collective have been going through the last couple of years, or just waves of information making their way to the shores of those paying attention. Either way, it was a good time for me to finally tackle this topic of interest. So let's start with the basics. The Georgia Guidestones are a modern megalithic site. As I mentioned before, these stones were raised on March 22, 1980 and are still standing today. They are made out of solid granite and are built to stand through the tests of time, specifically wild weather patterns, earthquakes, and other catastrophic events that might occur. This was a condition that was important to the group of investors who paid to have them built. They want the Guidestones available to humanity in the aftermath of a global calamity, such as major earth changes, including war. As mentioned in the intro, the size of this monument is massive, and the site which it is built upon is wide open with nothing else to distract the visitors from the Guidestones. Another condition of the investor group was that there was nothing else to be built on site. No ticket sales to get in, no gift shop, no food vendors. This is a site that is meant to call humanity into the age of reason and not to make a profit. It is quite easy to find images of the Guidestones online, but I'll do my best to describe what you can expect. On the massive granite foundation stands five granite slabs. Four are considered the main Guidestones. The four main stones are flat, rectangular in shape, and stand on their ends. Each Guidestone is placed to face one of the cardinal directions north, south, east, and west. In the middle of the four main guidestones stands a fifth, smaller rectangular pillar-style slab, and this one stands just as tall as the rest. Each of the main guidestones and the center slab are set into stone bases for added support. On the base of each of the main four guidestones is a stamp indicating the cardinal direction in which it faces. The five granite slabs are topped with a flat rectangular capstone to finish off the main site. Off to the west, there is an additional flat granite slab laying flush to the ground. I will get into this marker later in the episode. This megalithic site is designed to be multi-purposed. It can be used as a guide to humanity, as a compass, a calendar, and a clock. I will get into the guide to humanity in just a minute here. First, I want to explore the details that are embedded into the capstone and the center slab to help with the calendar and clock functions. You can find a diagonal channel, bore through the middle pillar slab, indicating our celestial position. When you look through, it points right at Polaris, more commonly known as our North Star. Closer to the ground and at eye level, there is a horizontal slot. This is used to indicate the annual path of the Sun. At the time of the summer equinox and the winter solstice of the Western Hemisphere, this slot aligns with the setting Sun. So technically, you could rebuild the current Gregorian calendar from this information. Some people say this slot creates a magical portal or that they can see into another dimension. I didn't find any other concrete proof on this just yet, but this could also be just a subjective experience. And lastly, there's a single hole carved through the capstone. At 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, a sunbeam will shine through this hole, allowing one to recreate the 24-hour clock if the world gets turned upside down. But what really draws people to this site is what's written on the four main guidestones and the capstone. Let's begin at the top and work our way down. Carved into the four edges facing outwards of the capstone is roughly the quote, Let these be guidestones to an age of reason, unquote. I say roughly because each edge is engraved with a different ancient language. 
I say roughly because each edge is engraved with a different ancient language. And as an example, words like guidestones were not always able to be directly translated. The four languages chosen for the capstone, starting from the top and proceeding clockwise, were Babylonian, carved in cuneiform script, classical Greek, Sanskrit, and ancient Egyptian carved in hieroglyphs. These four languages are actually just isolated to the capstone. There are eight services to work with on the four main slabs. Eight modern languages were used to engrave the ten guides that were intended to usher in the age of reason. Well, the ten guides according to the secret group of investors anyway. Starting from the guide stone facing due north and moving clockwise around so that the upper edge of the northeast rectangle is listed first, the languages used to engrave the stone were English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, Arabic, Chinese, and Russian. When I found this out years ago, it brought to my mind the Rosetta Stone. If you're not aware of what the Rosetta Stone is, here's some Coles notes for you. The Rosetta Stone is a granodiorite steel, basically a large quartz and plagioclase mixed monolith. This ancient stone is inscribed with what is known as the Decree of Memphis and was tested and proved to be carved in around 196 BC. The Rosetta Stone is just one example of a series that affirms the royal cult of King Ptolemy V. It is a three-sided steel, and on each side the Decree of Memphis is engraved in different languages. The three languages used were Egyptian carved in hieroglyphs, Egyptian Demotech, which was a variation of the Egyptian language that was used for documents, and the last was Ancient Greek. The Rosetta Stone was actually the key to deciphering Egyptian hieroglyphs. Before that, no one knew how to read this form of Ancient Egyptian. So, in my mind, it makes sense that the investors would use multiple modern languages on their stones. If you know one of them, you can decipher the rest, including the addition of the most ancient languages on the capstone. And in a post-apocalyptic world, this might be useful. This brings me to the actual guides written on the stones. The reason many people flock to see the guide stones in the first place. Some of these guides seem very reasonable, others are controversial. Overall, they seem to be subjective. Some people, like Yoko Ono, think that the guides are, quote, a stirring call to rational thinking, unquote, while others think these are the Ten Commandments of the Antichrist, or a message from groups who are calling for a new world order. You will have to be the judge for yourself. This is how each line reads on site. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Unite humanity with a new living language. Rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Balance personal rights with societal duties. Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Light and dark all wrapped into one, wouldn't you say? 
Most people find the first guide the most troubling. Being that we are at a population of over 7.7 .7 billion at the time of this recording, to take those numbers down to half a billion people worldwide would take a massive extinction event, like a celestial object crashing into the Earth. Or worse, a nuclear war or organized holocaust. One thing we must remember is that the Guidestones were erected in the time of the Cold War, and it was mentioned in several sources that I came across in my research that the Guidestones' main purpose was to provide a guide to an age of reason in the case of a nuclear war as well as using the functions of the compass clock and calendar to assist in re-establishing the cardinal directions and timelines. But on another note, this first guide in particular led me to digging deeper into something known as Agenda 21, or what is now being called Agenda 2030. As I dove into that uncomfortable subject, I was then led to the Club of Rome. If you have not heard of either, I encourage you to look both up. There's too much to unpack within this episode, but Agenda 21 in particular was once thought to be one of those New World Order conspiracies. And the Club of Rome is focused on population reduction. It's spooky stuff, folks. I didn't leave any links because I really don't want my podcast flagged by keywords. But trust me when I say it is easy to find the information on both. You just have to look for it. Moving on. The next guide to leave people feeling uneasy is the second in line, quote, guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity, unquote. If I have learned anything from my research on eugenics, this sounds like something that would have come out of that act, and many others agree with me. The problem with this guideline is that humanity already has diverse genetics. However, not all genetic lines are free from what are considered less desirable traits by those who prescribe to the belief of eugenics. As a refresher, the practice of eugenics is to focus on strengthening the genetic lines of the human race. In the past, the eugenics board allowed certain hospitals and medical staff to determine who should be sexually sterilized in order to remove those less than desirable genetic lines from the mass populace. Those with disabilities, mental illness, or even groups of races or religious backgrounds were seen as objectionable by those in control. This has been happening on a global scale for over the last hundred years. One only needs to recall Hitler's Holocaust of World War II, the residential schools and segregated indigenous hospitals in North America, or the genocides of Rwanda as in-your-face examples. And of course, this is not a complete list of examples of eugenics practices playing out. With the first guideline calling for a reduction of 93% of the population, and for only the fittest and wisest of the bunch to procreate, I can see why some people hold the belief that the Georgia Guidestones were financed by a bunch of eugenics junkies, the Club of Rome, or those behind Agenda 21. But the other guidelines don't seem so sinister at the initial reading, don't you think? It might take time to establish a global language everyone speaks, but for the most part, it seems as though the guidelines are calling for balance and harmony with nature, communities, and the international collective. Though, the more you sit with it, the more ominous it all begins to feel. I only say this because I did some poking around about Agenda 21 and took a look at the Club of Rome website. Yeah, there should be harmony with nature and man, but these organizations and agendas play out like we live on a finite planet, one built on scarcity. The deeper you dig, the agenda to balance man and nature really seems to come down to controlling the mass populace and initiating a new world order based on communism. But I really don't want this episode to get away from me. Please, look deeper into these two areas of grave interest and form your own opinion. 
At this point, there is no absolute connection of the Georgia Guidestones to a New World Order agenda. So let me stick to what I actually found out, and you can use the breadcrumbs I have dropped to lead you to the outer circles of where my research led me. This is why you must go beneath the surface information you find. There always seems to be three sides to the story. The surface, the perspective, and the truth lies in there somewhere. Back to the Guidestones, and who actually commissioned them? Since my research was leading me there anyways. Only one man knows for sure who R.C. Christian really was in life, and this is Wyatt Martin. Wyatt Martin was the president of the bank who financed the project. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. Let's go back a little bit and find out why Mr. Martin is the only person to know who the real identity of R.C. Christian really was. It was a normal day in June of 1979. The owner of the Elberton Granite Finishing Company, a man named Joe Fenley, found himself alone in his office site when a stranger appeared at the front desk. This man was described by Fenley as being well-dressed and stated that he was representing, quote, a small group of loyal Americans who believed in God, unquote. Though he called himself R.C. Christian, he revealed to Joe Fenley right away that this was, in fact, a pseudonym. This stranger began asking Fenley about purchasing a monument, this was quite common, but the Elberton Granite Finishing Company only worked with wholesale invoicing, and Fenley began to explain this to Christian. This didn't deter the well-dressed stranger. He went on to explain the monument he, and the group he represented, had been spending the last 20 years designing and wishing to now commission. It was important to this group that the monument stand the test of time and all kinds of weather events. It would also function as a compass, clock, and calendar, with guidelines to be deeply engraved into the large slabs he was requesting. He also used the metric system to outline the dimensions of the project to Fenley, which was pretty rare indeed. It is well known that the U.S. uses the imperial measuring system, even back then. Fenley later confessed that, quote, I was thinking, I got a nut in here now. How am I going to get him out? Unquote. Fenley actually tried to discourage Christian from moving forward on the project. He did this by quoting the project several times higher than any other work order they had taken on before this massive request. Fenley explained that he would not only have to use special tools for the project, but they would also have to seek out specialized consultations for the engraving work. To his surprise, Christian agreed to the quote. I found some articles and blogs that estimated the cost of the stones alone to be around $100,000, with the engraving work, transport, and land purchase added on top of that. If you convert that to today's purchasing power, the stones alone would have cost a little over $340,000. American dollars. Now that Fenley had a large work order on the books, he had to make sure this stranger from out of town was legit and can actually pay for the project. As a condition for the work order, Fenley sent Christian to a trusted bank in Alberton, the Granite City Bank. Fenley called the president of the bank, giving him a heads up that R.C. Christian would be in to see him about financing this project. The bank president during this time was Wyatt Martin. R.C. Christian went on to explain all the details of this megalith he wished to finance, and Martin heard him out. By the end of their meeting, Martin decided to work with Christian to get this monument built. Fenley would work with Martin to arrange being paid, and Martin would contact Christian when it was time to wire more money into the account he set up to pay Fenley out of. Simple, but there was one condition. Wyatt Martin told R.C. Christian that he could not use a pseudonym on the banking paperwork. He needed his legal name. If he would not provide this... Martin could not work with him. Christian agreed, but he had his own condition. Wyatt Martin can be the only person to know his true identity, 
and keep this a secret to the grave. And Martin agreed. Over the years, Wyatt Martin and R.C. Christian had lots of communication back and forth and even met for dinner on occasion. Martin is the only person involved in the purchasing, land acquiring, and building of the Guidestones who had continued contact with Christian. From what I understood, Fenley only met with him the once and did all other dealings through Martin after that point. The fellow who sold part of his land for the monument to be built on also only met R.C. Christian briefly. It was Martin who was the middleman in all aspects of this project. In the documentary called Dark Clouds Over Elberton, the true story of the Georgia Guidestones produced by Adelum Films, Martin was interviewed extensively. The first thing he shared is that he would not expose the identity of who R.C. Christian was, so he told the producers to not bother asking. Though, he did share a lot about his dealings with Christian. Martin felt that there was nothing sinister going on with Christian or his investors group. He believed there was no hidden agendas as to why the stones were being built and placed. It's all written out clear as day on the explanatory slab that is ground level and set off to the west of the stones. I'll get into that in just a minute here. Martin went on to show the producer of this documentary an old computer case in which he held every piece of communication between himself and Christian that was exchanged over the years. He also shared the reason Christian and the investors wished to remain anonymous. This was so that their identities would not take away from the importance the Guidestones were to offer. And so Martin kept his word and never told a soul. When Dark Clouds Over Elberton was filmed in 2010, Martin figured that R.C. Christian had since passed away. By that time, he had not heard from him in several years. And besides, he was aged at the time of their meeting, describing Christian as balding in between his 60s and 70s in 1980. Some of the documents from that case that I want to share a little bit here covered some adjustments R.C. Christian had to make to the monument. One of these adjustments was a cost reduction measure, which I found to be interesting. The original capstone was designed to be a solid pyramid, but due to rising costs, he decided to change it to a flat rectangular capstone that you see there today. There was also a change to the original location desired for building the guidestones. R.C. Christian initially wanted the monument site to be placed in Harrison County, Georgia. Martin explained that Christian believed this location would have been far better for the astronomical alignments of the stones. Christian had even surveyed the land in Harrison County ahead of time by plane, but found it had too many wooded areas and land to be cleared in order to build the monument site as he wished. It was actually Wyatt Martin that suggested the final site to Christian, one just outside of Elberton. Martin recalls telling Christian he needed the monument to be in full exposure to the sun and to have a cleared out field for it to stand. So he recommended a location nine miles north of Elberton. This area would be perfect and it was part of the farmland owned by Wayne Mullinex and his family. Christian agreed and purchased five acres for a reported $5,000 on October 1st, 1979. To help maintain the Guidestone grounds, Christian gave Millinex and his children lifetime cattle grazing rights on the site. After the Guidestones were installed, Christian transferred ownership of the land and monument to Elbert County. This would allow the county to freely maintain the stones and grounds. I mentioned earlier that Wyatt Martin didn't believe the Guidestones were mysterious in nature and that the investors made it clear as to why they were being built. Not only did Martin mention that the Cold War and the threat of nuclear war was the reason for building the Guidestones, he was also insistent that the explanatory tablet of granite laid just a few feet off to the west of the Guidestones says it all. So let's unpack what is engraved on this last granite slab to be laid at the Georgia Guidestone site. The explanatory tablet is a large slab of granite in its own right it includes all the details you could want to know about the Guidestones. 
I won't read out the whole tablet, but we'll break down the sections you can read in order that they are engraved. The first section details the astronomical features that can be found on the monument. The next is about the author, which is listed as R.C. Christian, with the word pseudonym misspelled. People love to point out that one little spelling mistake in the whole monument. The next headline is sponsors, and all it says is, quote, a small group of Americans who seek the age of reason, unquote. The next section details another mystery of the site, actually. What is engraved is time capsule. But next to the statement, placed six feet below this spot, there is no date. And to be opened on, again, there is no date. It is not known whether or not there's an actual time capsule buried six feet under the explanatory tablet. Though, Milanix and Martin hint that they do know the truth, but they refuse to share yay or nay in their interviews shown in Dark Clouds Over Elberton. The next section covers the physical data of the Guidestones, how tall they are, the total weight of the monument, and the area it covers. To end the list of the physical data is where the granite was quarried. It is listed as Pyramid Quarries, which was owned by Joe Fenley and located five kilometers west of Elberton, Georgia. And the last two sections cover the languages engraved on the stones and more details on how to use the astronomical features. It's all laid out for anyone who finds themselves exploring this modern megalith. The explanatory tablet gives so much information, but not enough all at once. That's what has people adding to the story and why the Georgia Guidestones are often caught up in the realm of conspiracy theories. Yeah, there's a lot known about them, but also a lot unknown. And it's the unknown that we tend to focus on, isn't it? In other news, there are rumors that the Guidestones have attracted witch coverns who are said to do rituals under the cover of night. There seems to be no way to actually confirm this, and I read some think this is from the rumor mills started at one of the local church congregations. In some of the sources I came across, it was mentioned that one of the local pastors claimed that the Guidestones to be a work of the devil, so it's natural that people think that there must be witches gathering there on site too. The Guidestones have not been without the attention from local vandals either. In 2008, the stones were defaced with spray paint, slogans like, quote, Death to New World Order. You will not succeed. Jesus will beat you, Satanists. Unquote. Were written in bright red paint all over the explanatory tablet and the Guidestones. In 2014, the FBI was called out to investigate graffiti left on the stones reading, quote, I am Isis, goddess of love. Unquote. This was the last act of vandalism left on the Guidestones. Some Americans want to link this slogan to the terrorist group calling themselves ISIS. However, it is pretty clear to me, and others who read this at face value, that the vandals were speaking about the well-known Egyptian goddess named Isis, sister and wife of Osiris and mother of Horus. She is one of the most important goddesses in Egyptian mythology, originally going by the name of Aset. Today, she is known by the Greek name of Isis. Isis is worshipped for her healing and magical abilities. I could go on and on and on, but I want to get back on track here. The vandalism from 2008 and 2014 have since been cleaned up, and since the 2014 Isis graffiti, surveillance cameras have been installed to keep tabs on the site 24 hours a day. There is one last mystery I should mention about this modern megalith. There was a cube cut from the top corner of the English engraved slab. This happened sometime in 2009. There's a story I couldn't really confirm that says the fellow responsible for cutting this part out of the Guidestone turned himself and the cube into the police five years later. But many in the conspiracy groups feel this is a cover story. In 2014, 
a new cube appeared. Officially, the local police and county considered the new cube to be a case of vandals and expressed that this addition was not commissioned by the county at all. From the ground, you could see engravings on only two sides. They were the numbers 20 and 14. Once the cube was removed, it was found that there was more engravings on the other sides of the cube. There was additional numbers of 8, 16, and the letters MM and JAM. One of the funniest sources I came across say that the numbers represent a wedding date, and the letters, the initials of the bride and groom that wed on site in the cover of night. But others, they want this to be more sinister. Some of the sources I came across in my research lay claim that MM stands for Master Masons, and JAM stands for Judgment Against Mankind. The dates might reflect August 14th of 2016 and not August 16th of 2014. Or maybe they are connected to Bible verses. I'm sure if you sit long enough with this cube, you can make any number of ideas work. I really don't know what to tell you here. All I know is that the cube was removed shortly after it was installed, and I'm honestly not sure if the missing cube has been replaced yet. It was hard finding any information or any recent confirmable photos. So I guess I'll have to take a trip and find out for myself. To close this episode down, I wanted to let you all know this was a cool look into a modern monument that has always said to be shrouded in mystery. The only real mysterious thing to me about this all is who the heck financed it. When the group claims they wish to remain anonymous so their identities do not take away from the intention of the monument itself, I get suspicious. If you cannot follow the money, you cannot find the true intention. You can find part two of this episode over at my Patreon community. In part two, I will talk about four speculated candidates thought to be RC Christian. Join today and you can gain access to this and other Patreon-exclusive content. I do not believe that we live on a planet of scarcity, but a planet of abundance. Being accountable for how we use our resources is important, but not to the point of controlling population to the extent the Guidestones has suggested. Though, I do agree that there's a greater need of balance and harmony with nature and humans. And there are many ways we can become a better local and global community all over. Unity through common ground and diversity can be a solution, but all we seem to be shown through mainstream media is division. I think if we begin to talk to our neighbors more often and turn off the news, we would see that we're not as divided as those behind the curtain would have us believe. One world order is too extreme in my view. Control is not the answer, but understanding, compassion, and love for our neighbor can be. I love the saying what war can do, peace can do better. The Georgia Guidestones seem to fit the elitist and globalist agenda, but I think us commoners, we can find a better way. Thank you so much for popping by and spending time with me today. I really appreciate you being here. I'm excited to see an increase in loyal listeners and I would love to hear your feedback. I invite you to leave a message over at my Anchor FM page letting me know how you like it. You can also share your personal experience with the show topic or even share a show idea. I listen to each message and may include your idea in a future episode. Since I'm an independent podcast host and producer, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, a follow on Spotify, or a review where you're listening to me right now would really help others find my show. Outside of my podcast platforms, you can find me on social media by searching The Dark Side of Lightwork with Wynne Thornley. 
if you like bonus content, I invite you to check out my exclusive Patreon community. Your contribution helps with the growth and expansion of the Dark Side of Light work. I have lots of exclusive content available for my loyal Patreons that isn't available anywhere else. Behind the scenes research content, meditations, bonus episodes, and videos. Any support is welcome, and I feel grateful for all the support I have already received. Thank you so much. I'm also expanding the conversation on the dark arts, paranormal, and episode topics over at the Wisdom app. There, you can find me going live throughout the month. Wisdom is a neat blend of live radio and podcasting, as all live conversations become archived so you can listen in later. Wisdom also offers the option to chat with me live, so I invite you to be my guest and join the conversation. I also have a list of haunted field trips that I'm organizing that will begin in July 2022. Watch for announcements on those events. My next episode, I'm going to share what I've learned about Drumheller, Alberta, Canada. This old mining town turned dinosaur capital of Canada has a surprising amount of paranormal activity and hidden spaces to be explored. Thank you once again for listening into the end. I look forward to dropping the next episode soon. So until then, take good care. <laughs>